And if you're following along in our Bible reading plan that we've been promoting, you know, by now you know that the plan has taken us into the book of Exodus. And so a lot of what we're doing on Wednesday nights is just um, really just spending some time, really these first few Wednesday nights is just, I want to give you just some encouragement as far as when you think about God's Word and the value of God's Word in your life, how to study God's Word, there's some things that we need to consider, um, key theological terms and concepts, and so we're sort of covering some of that uh, on Wednesday nights uh, in our time together. And so Psalm 19 is really where I wanted us to land. I'll, I'll read it once more here in just a few moments. But if you remember, remember, I began last week by making this statement that no other book on earth can really even begin to compare with the Bible. And the Bible is unique in the sense that it is the living, active word of the living God. And nothing can compare with the Bible. And the Bible is unique in so many ways. It's unique in terms of its authorship. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And yet the Holy Spirit used 40 different human authors over the span of 15 centuries to write both Old and New Testament, 39 books in the Old, 27 books in the New And those writers, those human writers, came from a variety of backgrounds. And you think about how some of them were kings and prophets, uh, fishermen, shepherds and priests, and all such as that. And so you have such a broad uh, variety of representation of instruments that God used when he gave to us his word. And then the Bible is unique in terms of its content. Because the subject of the Bible is salvation. The hero of the Bible is Jesus. And so one thing that's important as you read God's Word in your own personal devotion, uh, one thing that I really want to encourage you to do is ask the Holy Spirit to just show you where Christ is. And, and how, wherever it is you're reading, if it's in Exodus, yeah, the Holy Spirit leads you to the application of how does this point me ultimately to my faith in Jesus because he is the focal point of the Bible. You know, the Bible is not a man-centered book. It's a God-centered book. And you and I are not the main uh, character, but God himself is the main character. And so scripture is the story of all that God has done uh, to rescue us from our sin in the person of his son, Jesus And then I mentioned that the Bible is unique in terms of its compilation. Uh, The way that you see really the 39 books of the Old Testament, you've got a variety of genres that are represented. Uh, You have historical narrative. Uh, You have poetry. Uh, You've got proverbs. Uh, You have uh, uh, law. You have command and, and all such as that. And so the Bible is unique in terms of its compilation. And then ultimately the Bible is unique in terms of its results. Because we would be here really the rest of the night, even if just a few of us began giving personal testimony as to how the Word of God has really led to a changed life in our own experience. I mean, the Bible's changed my life. It's changed your life. It's amazing when you think about how the Word of God has brought transformation to individuals, and then those transformed individuals lead to transformed societies. And largely, that's been the history of the Western world. 
I was reading a biography um, just a couple of weeks ago on, on the emperors of Rome, and in particular Nero, and, and just a you know, wicked dude. If you know anything about Nero's background, just wicked, wicked, wicked. Uh, it was under Nero that the first imperial, really sanctioned imperial persecution against the church broke out. Nero was the emperor when uh, both Paul and the apostle Peter are martyred in Rome. And if you, you consider the Roman Empire largely pre-Christian, before the spread of Christianity throughout the empire, it was entirely pagan. And yet, over the course of the first three centuries, it's remarkable when you consider the spread of the gospel and the spread of Christianity and how Christianity went from being a persecuted um, uh, group to where Christianity then became the legal religion of the empire under Constantine. And we can debate the, you know, the, 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 the reasons for that later on. But my point is, Christianity transformed Western civilization. So much so that even our own nation and Western-style democracies and you know, our understanding of humanity and human dignity and human rights and all of those kinds of things uh, flowed out of predominantly a Judeo-Christian worldview. That's not to say that all of the founders of our country were born-again Christians. Many of them were. But the fact remains, the influence of Christianity is there and has been seen and can speak for itself. And so the Bible is unique then in terms of its results. And it's the truth that God has revealed concerning himself to humanity. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Because of sin, we would never have stumbled upon this truth all by ourselves. You understand that in order for us to know who God is and what God wants us to know concerning himself, concerning salvation, God had to reveal that to us. Because this is not something that we've stumbled upon. This is not knowledge that, that man has come up on its own. When we're talking about the word of God, we're talking about God's revelation of himself and his will to humanity. So that God himself took the initiative to communicate his truth. It was God who took the initiative to shine the light of his truth into our darkness. All right, and so would you agree with me tonight that really no other book on earth can even begin to compare with the Bible? And aren't you glad that you have access to the Bible in a language that you can understand? Most of us have multiple copies of it. And so I thank God for his word. And so with that in mind, I read from Psalm 19 last week. I want to read from Psalm 19 again tonight. And so you go ahead and turn there if you're not already there. But Psalm 19, I love this psalm. And David writes and says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Well, we saw that today, didn't we? I mean, just a beautiful Carolina blue sky. <laughs> That's the handiwork of God. I just thought I would add that and just get that out there tonight. But all of creation itself, the sky above, the orderliness of creation around us, it, it, it's preaching a message on a daily basis to humanity. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Now there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he set a tent for the sun. 
which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so here in this opening uh, paragraph, the psalmist is saying, just consider really the world around you. And that's point number one. We've got to consider the world around us. And God has revealed something about himself in this general way. When you consider the heavens, when you consider creation. Now, you'll notice that he switches from verse 6 to verse 7 from general revelation. God has revealed himself in a general way. To now he's saying, here's how God has specifically revealed himself in a very special way. Because... General revelation is not enough as far as salvation is concerned. For that, you and I need special revelation. So that God has, in grace, he's done something to reveal himself in the person of his son, in the gift of his son. And so listen to what the psalmist now says about God's special revelation. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Aren't you grateful that God's word points you to the Lord who is your rock and your redeemer? Which means I don't have to live my life and build my house on shifting sand. But there is a rock, there's a solid bedrock in God and in his word. And the wonderful news is that he's also my redeemer. And so praise the Lord for his word. So intentionally considering the world around us. So again, notice the psalmist begins this wonderful psalm by telling us something about the world around us, the heavens above us. He's saying that there's a very important message being sent out. Though this message is without words, the message still directs our attention to God. I'm going to come back to this in just a second. But if you remember last week, I gave you uh, just a couple of uh, introductory remarks about, first of all, the, 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 the access that we have to the Bible. When you think about it, it's amazing. Uh, over the last few decades, various trends concerning the access now that we have to God's Word. We live in a world of increasing skepticism. Uh, I came across some Barner research uh, now, the research is a bit dated. It's about seven or eight years old. But the title of this study was The Changing Landscape of Bible Perceptions and Engagement. And, and so, Barna's done a number of these studies. But based on this study, it's interesting. There's, there's absolutely no question that more people have more questions about the origins, 
the relevance, the authority of the scriptures today in America than perhaps they did 50 or even 100 years ago. And the evidence shows how a lot of this has even changed within the last decade. And so let's not just buy into this, this notion from the evil one that people aren't generally interested and they're not asking questions. Listen, we've got a unique opportunity to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And the wisdom of the world, let me tell you something. Those that are following the wisdom of the age, it's going to lead them to a dead-end street. And it's bankrupt and it's empty and they're going to be refugees at some point who are going to be looking for something of substance and we had better be ready as the people of God who know God's truth. We do live in a moral, a new age where there's a new moral code that wants to reject any external moral authorities. To where the mantra today is, well, who are you to say how I should live? Who are you to say what I should do? So that really it's a rejection of any external moral authority where in its place there's this increased reliance upon internal moral autonomy. And you've seen that perhaps in your own families and you've seen that uh, demonstrated in the culture around us. Someone says, well, I want to do what I want to do and I want to pick and choose what's good for me and how dare you offer any disagreeing idea And so that's the world we live in. And yet despite all of this blatant rejection, there's great opportunity. And you think about the access that we have. I think I showed you a little bit of information about the Bible app last week. And again, I don't know if you're like me. I read hard copy Bibles. I love having my Bible app. Could you imagine just a few centuries ago explaining to a believer... I mean, a century ago, for that matter, explaining to a believer that with this little computer that you now carry around in your pocket everywhere you go, you can have access to an app that literally has hundreds of translations of the scriptures. (laughs) It's amazing. I mean, the technology that we have right here at our fingertips. And so, you know, I think that we ought to use that for the glory of God. But just that simple Bible app, the YouVersion app, that was pioneered by Life Church TV. Most of us, many of us perhaps use that app. When it was launched in 2008, they had 83,000 installs the first weekend. They were hoping to have that in one year's time. They had it in a weekend's time. It's phenomenal. It was developed by, uh, I don't know, a couple of developers out of Life Church TV. They, they spent a lot of money investing. They wanted it to be a help to their church, but they wanted it to be beyond their church. They wanted it to reach It'd be a tool to just reach the nation. And listen, it has gone global because if you look at that data there, uh, in 2023, there were more than 575-plus million installs of the YouVersion Bible app. And so that's remarkable. We're living in a remarkable time. And then if you look at the languages, it's accessible. Uh, back in 2007, 2008, it was accessible in three languages. Well, now there are close to 2,000 languages where that Bible app is now available, where people in close to 2,000 different language backgrounds can have access to God's Word in their language. Don't you think that the Holy Spirit is using that around the world for the glory of God? (laughs) And I think about all of these places around the world where Christianity is illegal, and I know that there's a number of restrictions that governments place upon certain forms of technology, but let's just be honest. 
We're living in just this global digital age, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is using that in places around the world. Like you and I. By the way, I remember when I was in Uganda in Africa in 2011. Uh, our team was speaking at an orphanage and a, pri- a prison somewhere up near Jinja. But I remember, <laughs> I remember going, I mean, out in the middle of nowhere, and we'd gone down this old, just dirt road for a long time. And I remember passing just these, this village, and people were living, you know, very primitive cottages. And, and I remember seeing this, what I thought was a young teenager out there on a smartphone in 2011, out there in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, well, there you go. And you know that the Lord is using that technology for the sake of his name and for the spread of the gospel. All right, so um, a second thing that I'd mention under this point, point number one, is certain survey results about the authority of the Bible. Not just access to the Bible, but what about, what did that same survey reveal about different views on the authority of Scripture? Now again, this is somewhat dated, but I still think that this is relevant because In the United States, according to this study, 81% of the people believe that the Bible is a holy book. Now, 81% of people just make the statement they believe that the Bible is indeed a holy book. But what's really interesting in this study is that those who are the elders, they're called elders, capital E, and uh, it's referring to a demographic, people who were born prior to 1946, all right, so if you're born prior to 1946, you would fit into this demographic. But of this demographic, 88% believe that the Bible is a holy book. With millennials, those who are classified as people born between, uh, well, this study says 1984 and 2002. The survey uh, involved only people who are 18 years old. But of that demographic, 71% believe that the Bible is a holy book. So you can see that there's, there's a difference there in terms of demographics. And, and let me just go ahead and say this. I don't believe for one second that the youngest generation is a lost cause. And if you believe that, and if we believe that, God help us as a church. Listen to me. I really believe God's doing something great and amazing among the youngest generation. However, you do see varying trends in our own culture where the older demographics had one view of Scripture that has not necessarily been duplicated or passed on to the younger generations. That's not something that's just happened in our country, but it didn't happen that way in Israel in the Old Testament, where there was a generation that passes from the scene, that the builder generation, the generation that takes the promised land under General Joshua, well, that generation, they build... They get settled and established in the land. Well, the the Bible says in Judges that there's another generation that comes up that doesn't know the Lord, that doesn't know the things that God had done for his people, and they have a very different view than their predecessors. And so that right there just underscores the value of discipleship, doesn't it? The importance of passing the faith along and doing absolutely everything that we can to pass the faith along to the next generation. Now, I've got a lot of other survey results that I could share with you, but it just, you know, they are what they are, all right? Uh, One that I thought was really interesting, I will mention this one, it was what senior pastors believe about the Bible. Don't you think it's important 
to have a senior pastor that believes the Bible. Could you imagine having a senior pastor that didn't believe the Bible? If you ever get a senior pastor that doesn't believe the Bible, you better run him off. Or you better find another church. Because, listen to this statistic, uh, and we're talking about pastors responsible for leading churches, congregations. How many of them believe that an intentional, systematized study of the Bible is an essential element of spiritual formation? Should have been 10 out of 10 of them that were asked, 100%. But only 64% in this survey. How many of them believe that an in-depth education about the Bible is essential to spiritual growth? Only 60% in this survey. Which, if you just take this survey at face value, means that approximately 40% of all senior pastors today don't believe that Bible study and teaching are needed for spiritual growth. And I wonder, what in the world? Now You, you see well, wholesale denominations that are walking away from the truth of Scripture, and you wonder, why is that? Well, listen, because... If there are popsicles in the pews, it's because there's a polar bear in the pulpit. Right? And so you look at that and you really begin to realize that the number of people who actually believe the Bible in our nation, it's decreasing fast. And, and now in, in, in post-Christian America, people are, who do believe the Bible and, and accept the Bible at face value, they're increasingly viewed as... Crazy, offensive, maybe even dangerous to society and that kind of thing. So the question is, is it dangerous to believe this book or is it dangerous not to believe this book? Well, I'm of the conviction that it's dangerous not to believe the Bible. All right, so now... The next point here, we've got to carefully consume the word which is before us. Having considered the world around us, like the psalmist has instructed us to, looked at society too and considered where we are in a societal way, let's carefully consume the word of God. That's what we need. To, that's why Bible reading is so very important. That's why reading the Bible, however you choose to do that, it's why it's so very important in your own life. Because again, we keep coming back to this thought we get into the Word of God so that we can worship the God of the Word. Right? I want to have an encounter with the living God who changes me, who loves me, who's revealed himself to me. And you know, God, God wants infinitely more for us than we even want for ourselves. And I know that there will be no growth in my life or your life apart from spending time with God in his Word. And so we've got to carefully consume this Word before us. And so I want to come back to those terms that I mentioned as we read Psalm 19. Uh, what is meant when you refer to general revelation and special revelation? If God has revealed himself, how has he done this? And what does it mean to say that he's done this both generally and specifically? All right, so for starters, God has revealed himself in a general sense. That is, you and I are able to know something about God by observation. Observing the world around us. Again, observing the skies above us. Now think about it. What is it that you see when you look around at the natural world? You know, thinking about snow. You know, the scientists and meteorologists and everybody will tell you that there are no two identical snowflakes. I see the imprint of the, the divine in that, don't you? The hand of God is in that. 
And I think about the world, you know, populated now by what? Eight billion people, something like that, who all have their own unique DNA and thumbprints. I see the hand of God in that. That there is nobody who is absolutely identical. My wife is a twin, okay? You know, Anita's a twin. And she's not an identical twin, but she's a twin nonetheless. We've got twins in the room tonight. But you are your own person. And the, and the evidence of God and the hand of God is in that. And so even there is just this way in which God has revealed himself, I believe, in a general sense. And so when you think about the orderliness of the world we live in, again, the Bible is clear. We could never know God unless God reveals himself to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, uh, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Even so, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so 1 Corinthians 2 teaches that only the Spirit of God is able to know the thoughts of God. So that means if I am to know the thoughts of God, then God has got to make those thoughts known to me by His Spirit. And that's what He's done in the the Word. Carl Henry was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. And uh, he made this statement. He said, all merely human affirmations about God, they curl into a question mark. We cannot spy out the secrets of God simply by curiosity. Not even theologians of a technological era. Not even Americans with their skill in probing the surface of the moon have any special radar for penetrating the mysteries of God's being and ways. Because apart from God's own initiative, God's act, God's revelation, no confident basis exists for God talk. (laughs) Wow. So as smart as you think you are, if it comes to the knowledge of God, that's got to be because God lets you in on who he is. And that's the beauty of what divine revelation really is all about. God has communicated to humanity. Isn't it an amazing thing? We spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on satellites trying to detect some kind of radio frequency from the far reaches of our solar system and galaxy and we wonder is there life out there would you please communicate with us and all the while you've got communication from another world right there in front of you in your lap that's what you have in 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 God's word it's remarkable that God has communicated to us this way all right so three ways that God has communicated to us in a general sense Right? First of all, uh, he's done so through nature. And again, this is what the psalmist is saying there in the first few verses of Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. He's saying that nature, the world around us, the skies above us, it's proclaiming this wonderful message about the Creator. You know, we as believers, we look at a sunset or we see the, the beauty of the fall colors or the beauty of a mountain snow, or the beauty of the sunrise down at the beach. And, you know, we, we don't simply, it's, it's not that old tune, you know, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. No, as a believer, we look at that and we think to ourselves, what a wonderful God who's created this. Because the creation itself, the art, testifies of the beauty and the wisdom of the artist. And so God has communicated to us generally through nature. And then, what about history? 
Everything that's happening in history right now, do you know that it's all under the governance of God? History is His story. Listen to what Job 12 verse 23 says. He makes nations great. And He destroys nations. He enlarges nations and He leads them away. So that tells me that the hand of God is actively involved in history, human history. Empires rise, empires fall. But if one sparrow doesn't fall from the ground that our Heavenly Father is not aware of, what does that say about the nations of earth? What does that say about the empires of man? God is sovereign behind all of that. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. And so, yeah, God is active in human history so that history itself bears witness of God. So God's revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself through history. And then third, think about how he's revealed himself through humanity itself. Human nature testifies of the creator you say what do you mean well God has put a spiritual impulse deep within the heart of every person right Uh, you've got a spiritual impulse Uh, Paul said in um, Acts chapter 17 when he's there uh, on Mars Hill uh, basically he speaks of man's longing to worship something and that that impulse comes from God and being made in the image of God You think about God has put a sense of morality in every single person. Now, sin has affected that so that even our sense of morality has been impacted. God's given you a conscience, but even your conscience has been affected by the fall. But there's this sense of ought that's engraved on every single one of our hearts. Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 2 when he talks about conscience. And again, humanity has this sense of right and wrong that can only be attributed to creation in the image of God. And by the way, did you know that this is your ally in evangelism? And and, and, and again, we'll see this later on in Romans chapter 1, but all humanity has this general knowledge of God so that he's without excuse. So that there's no one who can stand before the bar of God's holy justice and truly say, I didn't know. And so the thing is, what can we learn as far as creation is concerned, history is concerned, even our own humanity is concerned? What is it that we can know about God in a general way? Well, universal knowledge of God. We have knowledge concerning his existence. Knowledge concerning our own sinfulness before him. That's something that has been communicated to the conscience. So that even the person who militantly tries to deny... By the way, why is it that those that would militantly try to deny God's existence... I've often wondered, well, if there is no God, why are you so militant about the fact that he doesn't exist? Right? It's because their conscience bears witness to the fact that God exists. A man has to sin against his own conscience... To deny the existence of Almighty God. Paul says, although men knew God, they didn't glorify Him or give thanks to Him, but they became empty in their thinking, futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And so the whole point, again, Romans 1, God's revealed Himself in creation generally to all people. And here's what we've done. We've turned aside from this one true God who's created all things, and we've worshipped other gods in his place. We've exalted self 
All right, so what's the effect of all of this? You know, what's the cumulative effect of all of this general knowledge of God? Now listen to me. Oftentimes people will say, how can God be just in condemning to hell a person who's never heard the name of Jesus? Have you ever wrestled with that in your own life? Because I guarantee you, you probably have. I think all of us to some degree have wrestled with that. Because I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because this is so very important. I think we miss it a lot of times. The condemnation that humanity is under, it's not on the basis of special revelation, but general revelation. So that all of humanity is under condemnation because of what humanity has done in terms of rejecting general truth about God that every single person who's ever been born knows but denies. Now that's strong truth, but let me tell you, that's what the Bible teaches. And this is why I can't stop here, because I, if I stopped here, it'd be, it'd be awful. Thank God that God has not left us under this cloud of condemnation, which is true of every single person because of our rejection of God and what God has revealed about himself in a general way. Because thanks be to God, God has taken the initiative to go much further than revealing himself generally. God has revealed himself to us in a special way. All right, so special revelation, special revelation. God has revealed himself to us in a special sense. And how has he done that? Well, again, think about it. If he's done it in a general way through history and through nature and through our own humanity, think about how he's also done this in a number of ways in a special way. All right? First of all would be history. All right? Don't think about just history in general, but I'm talking about redemptive history, the way that God has broke into human history at various points to carry out his redemptive plan. Think about what God's done. You read about it in Genesis. If you study the book of Genesis, think about what God's done in terms of breaking into history with reference to the call of Abram from Ur of the Chaldees and establishing a covenant in grace with Abraham. And think about how God has broken into history in a redemptive sense through the Exodus. Now, if you're following the chronological plan, we're in the book of Exodus. And so isn't it amazing? Here you have Israel in captivity to the Egyptians who were much more powerful than they were. Made slaves out of the Israelites. The fact that the Israelites are brought up out of their bondage in Egypt is evidence of the fact that God has broken through uh, human history and revealed himself in a special way through the Exodus which the Bible says is really a pattern of what he's done in a much greater way through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if God has revealed himself in a special way in terms of history, think about the second way that he's revealed himself in a special way, the incarnation itself, where that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says in John 1, we saw his glory. <laughs> glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you think about Jesus and the life of Jesus and how no one has had a greater impact on the world than Jesus. And yet he never traveled more than 60 miles from the place of his birth. Has literally turned the world upside down. And yet said of himself, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. How do you explain that? 
It's not true of any other person. Other people have made their impact, but none like the God-man. The Word made flesh. And so God's revealed Himself in this special way in terms of history, in terms of the incarnation. And then you think about His Word. The Word made flesh, that's Jesus, the incarnate Word. But God's not left you and me without testimony because He's given to us the written Word. And that brings us to the subject of our study, doesn't it? Because it's the written Word which is the subject of our study. And God promised that that's the way that he would work. He promised that he would communicate specially to his people. Deuteronomy chapter 18, God said to Moses, I'm going to raise up for my people a prophet like you from among their brethren. I'm going to put my words in his mouth and he will speak all that I command him. And so there's this succession of prophets in the Old Testament and God's communicating to his people in a special way through his word. And so here we see in Scripture, God's words (laughs) commanded to be put in written form. And praise the Lord. Aren't you grateful that you have access to that? Wow. I'm so thankful for my Bible. And now what's the benefits of having God's word written down? What are those benefits? Well, let me give you just a few. First of all, it enables personal examination. God's people can take his written revelation, his word. We can study it. We can teach it. We can talk about it. By the way, that's what we are as the church. We're a word-based fellowship, aren't we? We're creatures of the word. The church is a creature of the word. You can write it on the doorpost of your house and your gates to remember it. It enables public study. That's why we gather together tonight. I'm so thankful that I've got the company of Christian friends that I can gather together and be encouraged by. But, but we gather around this word so that we can personally examine it and so that you can study it and read it in your own devotion life every day. Another benefit, it enables clear explanation. It's interesting, you know, in Nehemiah where there's a, there's a reference to where Ezra the scribe, he reads the word and gives the sense to the people. Which I believe is really just a good pattern for expositional teaching and preaching. God's people need to hear the word. We need to read the word. But there needs to be those that have been gifted to give the sense. Ephesians 4 says that God has given pastors and teachers and evangelists and various people who be gifts to the church for this wonderful Advantage of being able to give the sense. So clear explanation of the word. Because the word's been preserved in written form, we can can personally examine it and there can be a clear explanation of it. And then third, God's revealed himself in a special sense in, in his written word. What does it do as far as a benefit? It enables our ongoing edification. I'm able to be built up on an ongoing basis. Things that are written down at one point in time have the power to edify far beyond that point in time. Paul will say this in Romans chapter 15. He says, for whatsoever was written in former times was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. How many of us have been encouraged by the faithful example of Abraham who believed the promise of God despite his circumstances telling him otherwise? Or who among us have not been encouraged by 
the Psalms of David, many of which he writes at various emotional moments and highs and lows in his own life and how all of that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is inspired scripture, the authoritative word of God which God and his spirit takes to minister to our own times of crisis and need. I can't tell you how many times and I've got, I've got pages that are tear-stained in my Bible with particular dates by particular psalms where it seemed like David had been reading my mail. <laughs> it wasn't David, it was the Holy Spirit. You've been there and you've had that experience. And so ongoing edification. I think about the gifted teachers in our fellowship that God's raised up that can provide edification and encouragement for the people of God. Aren't you grateful for your Sunday school teacher? Aren't you grateful for Pastor Jonathan? Aren't you grateful for others that God has gifted that can teach and that can help us in terms of ongoing edification? On and on and on I could go. Well, that's that. Now I've got to wrap this up. You say, okay, well, where are we going? Over the next few Wednesday nights, what is it that we're going to talk about? Well, we need to be prepared for common objections to the Bible. Having considered everything that I've shared about what the Bible is, how God's revealed himself, there are some common objections that often you and I will hear. And I think we need to be prepared to face those objections. You know, maybe they come from a family member. Maybe they come from a friend or someone we're witnessing to. And what are some of those objections? Well, here's a few. Someone says, well, you know, the Bible is just a human invention. It's a man-made book. Man came up with the Bible. But that's not according to the truth. And I want to show you how that's not according to the truth over the next couple of weeks. Another objection, someone says, well, the Bible has dangerous implications. It's dangerous for society. Which, by the way, have people done terrible things in the name of Christianity? And have they done terrible things claiming to have the Bible as their backing for that? Yes. But it's not the Bible's fault, nor is it God's fault. It's man and his blindness and sinfulness. And so we'll deal with that objection. And then someone says, well, you know, the Bible is really outdated and irrelevant. Which, by the way, whoever has said that has never really read the Bible because it is very, very relevant with where you and I are even in 2024. And then the last thing there, we need to be, um, uh, well, actually, I didn't put this in your notes, but some say that the Bible is offensive and it's insufficient for the church. Which may be why... 40% of those pastors surveyed don't study it because they don't really believe that it's sufficient for the church. The last thing there, we need to uh, answer critical questions about the Bible. And when I say critical, I mean important. Pressing questions. Weighty, meaty questions. And so what are those questions we're going to look at? Well, is the Bible divine or did man create it? And so the subject of canonicity, I want to deal with that. And I'll tell you exactly what that means in the coming weeks. Is the Bible true and can we trust it? What does it mean when we say that the Bible is the infallible, the inspired, the inerrant word of God? And then, is the Bible sufficient or are we without it? Is there a need for ongoing revelation and that kind of thing. We'll deal with that question. And then finally, is the Bible good and do we believe it? 
Another one that we'll deal with, I didn't include in your notes, is, is the Bible clear and can we understand it? <laughs> There's a lot of people who say, well, you know, the Bible can't be understood. And there's a difference. We're not, we don't study the Bible like a, like, like a first semester biology student would dissect a frog. <laughs> no, we do so. We study and read the Bible, and we rely upon the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to open our minds and hearts to understand the truth of God and His Word. Aren't you grateful for the Word of God? Amen. Lord, in Jesus' name, tonight we're thankful. We're thankful, Lord, that you have revealed yourself both in terms of a general way, through creation around us, the world around us, history, the natural world, even our own humanity as we've been created in the image of God. Lord, that's how you've revealed yourself in a general way so that all of humanity is without excuse when it comes to the knowledge of the truth. But Lord, you knew that because of sin and the pervasiveness of sin, we needed far more than just general revelation. We needed the special revelation of God. And you have acted in real time in history to redeem us and rescue us in the person of your son, Jesus. And you've given us your word in its written form, and that's what we're able to study so that we might know you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Lord, may we hunger, may we thirst for you in our lives. Bless these folks, Lord, through the remainder of their week and all that's going on in their life. God, give them wisdom for the decisions of life and strength for the crises of life. We love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, men and women. Have a wonderful week.